0: 20 years, and he started um, Journeys Christian Counseling many years ago. I don't know how many, but he is an amazing man of God. He calls himself a pastor, who happens to be a therapist, I believe, is one of his titles. And we're going to be blessed by him this morning. So, would you put it up for Randy Powell? (laughs) Uh, I think it is that long. It feels like a long time. Uh, I've been married 42 years. I have kids. Yeah that should be for her. Uh, And I have two kids, 38 and 35, and I just enjoy being a dad. I enjoy being a husband. And so today I want to talk about miracles. Oh, I love miracles. How many of you enjoy just the miracles? How many grew up in a church? How many grew up going to Sunday school or something that way where you heard, yeah, the miracles? You know, Jonah and the whale. I mean, you always saw it. They always put some structure up of some Nice whale and Jonah being swallowed. And how many other miracles in the Bible do you, uh, do you like? What ones do you like? Tell me a miracle you enjoy the story. Daniel in the lion's den is a great one, isn't it? That's fun to think and hear about being able to touch a lion and sit there and not be eaten. What other miracles do you like? Splitting the Red Sea. That's phenomenal. I love, wouldn't you like to do that? Just and walk and not have mud? It's the mud that bothers me on that one. Yes. Absolutely. And that one has so much to it because they go, our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. That's kind of the basis today a little bit. As a a title, because I have to have a title to feel like I have something to say. Dad's Responsibilities in the Midst of Miracles. In the Midst of Miracles. So, what are the miracles I'm going to talk about? Well, I have three that we're going to go over. The first one is Mark 10, 7 through 9, that I'm going to refer to. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, that's a miracle, And here's why. I forgot my props. I was at home. I had my knife. I had my apples. They're at home. So picture this. That's a miracle in itself. Picture this. I have an apple here. I cut it in half. What do I have now? Two halves. If I push it together and hold it, we would call it a whole apple. If I pull it apart, we would say it's two halves. We often hear people say that... I'm made whole by my wife, for my wife has made me whole. That's no miracle if we're two halves. Two halves coming together and making one whole is called math. It's normal. But to see, which I was going to set that down, so picture me doing that because my wife thought it was a good example. So I'm going to tell her I did it. So I have two apples, and you put them together and make one. And then you pull it apart and have two. Put it together, pull it apart daily. Now that's a miracle. That is what we're doing. We are living to say, okay, who are you as whole individuals? You are not a half. God made you and didn't say oops. Isn't that cool? He said it is good. It is very, very good. So each one of us are wholes and we need to be wholes. I've been doing therapy for over 40 years, as well as a minister for over 40 years. And so I do a lot of marriage counseling, uh, a lot of work. And it's astounding how many couples come in and they are not working on themselves. They are working on the relationship. What they're doing is putting two half apples together and trying to make a whole. That's not a miracle. The scripture was really clear on two becoming one, but it's two becoming one and separating and going about your daily life. Like you guys are here right now, separate, growing, Having different experiences, different purposes, a call by God. He made you and He said it is good. Who are you as a whole individual? Who is she as a whole individual? Now, some won't be married, some are divorced, some are in the middle of other relationships, but the concept of really being a team is to becoming one, the same as the whole body of Christ is to become one. We are one unit here right now. That's a miracle to get a group of guys together to come in and sit and talk with each other and interact and to share your depth, that's a miracle. You know, that's cool, but it's safety. It's, and then when you leave, you're independent. So if you get two hands and you put them together like this, I'm putting my hands together. I'm not supposed to walk outside a zone or it gets loud, so I'm going to get feedback, but I'm going to ask this. If I put my hands like this and I connect the two hands tightly and I ask you to knock them apart, Pretty easy, right? Even if I press hard, right? We think this is marriage. We're connected. This is not marriage. Not on connecting on similarities only. It's actually making a subtle adjustment to connect on your differences that actually makes a marriage. Now knock my hands apart. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we'll both get hurt on this one. We need to celebrate our differences. I'm not gonna talk about marriages a lot, but I wanna emphasize that a little bit. It's coming together to celebrate your differences and her differences, and knowing how to bond together in that, and then separate. If you only stay together, I challenge you to go about your daily life with your hands like this. Go ahead, try to drive, try to write notes, try to play golf, (laughs) try to have fun. How are you going to do it like this? Poorly. We are not called to be one all the time in this fashion. We are called to be able to do this and go about our work so that I can pick, my wife could pick something else up so that when she is teaching sixth graders, which would kill me or I'd kill them, when she's teaching sixth graders and I'm here doing work in marriage counseling, which she doesn't like, We can come back together and tell about our life experience and share and become one as we join back together and go apart to do our work. When we know how to join, even with our eyes closed, this connection will not be broken easily. (coughs) Miracle one, how do two people come together and form one? It's by being strong individually, not a half, not a part. It's to look at yourself and be able to say, where do I need to grow? Which is what a group like this does. Who am I? Who did God make me in my personality, my being, my gifts, my calling? Who did God make her and her gifts, her talents, her calling? And how do we support each other to be stronger than we were alone, but still independent? Okay, any quick questions? Questions on that right now? Any thoughts, reactions, anything like, yes, that's good, something to make me feel good? I, I like that, I needed that. I was gonna have to go home and ask my wife if she would say that. So you have to think about it. there's a lot there, and I'm not going into that a ton. I'm just giving it as a basis to realize when people say you need to make a healthy marriage and, and they don't emphasize the individual growth, you actually are gonna come away with a weak marriage. It won't be the miraculous marriage. We need to celebrate each other. We need to celebrate how different we are. So it's two, individual, capable, talented, fully successful, loved, called upon by God, children of God coming together to make one, that's the miracle. So that's a fun miracle, right? From my view. A lot of work in there, by the way, obviously. A lot of work to know how to do it. But keep that miracle in mind. Second miracle. This miracle is a really fun one to me, too, because it's the birth miracle. Now, when my wife and I found out that she was pregnant and we are going to have our first child, I don't know how you felt when you heard that, but I got nervous and excited at the same time. How am I going to be as good as my parents? In some cases, others it's how can I be better than they were because they were so horrible and how do I know how to be a good parent? But nerves are common when we first hear about being a parent. You are a parent. You have a child. You have someone that you're responsible for. You created in some fashion. If that doesn't create some anxiety in you, I don't think we're embracing the reality of that miracle. Now, what we did is we also got out the books and studied. Where was this baby at this moment in her tummy? Where, what size? How big? It was an ounce and about you know three inches long. When do the fingers fully form? When did the ears fully form? We were going through all this and studying it and seeing. My wife was a professional opera singer for years, and she sang a lot of music. So when were the ears available? And she was singing to it, and my wife made sure I did not because I am not a singer. <laughs> she goes, we don't need to traumatize that poor kid yet. We'll do that when they're born, So, which we probably have done. Uh, <laughs> she is singing to our daughter in the womb. And we're praying over it, loving, listening, feeling it kick, uh, feeling her kick, feeling her move. And all of that is a phenomenal miracle. A birth, a child, someone's carrying this. That's astounding. Now, what we did is we studied all that. We went to the Lamaze classes. And then when we got ready to go to the hospital and she said it's time, she was in pain. Now, how many of your wives or your if you weren't married when you had the child, how many of the women were in pain? <laughs> how many of them were yelling at you? <laughs> when they're in pain, they often will take it out anywhere. We all, all do. We get in pain, we get danger, we get excited, our brain goes into danger mode, and we'll just blame and attack anyone. Anyway. And yet, if we left them at that moment, they would also freak out. Don't leave me, leave me, don't leave me, leave me. You ever had that experience? That's another miracle one, you know, how do you pull it together when they're trying to pull apart? But in that moment, as she's in pain, I take her to the hospital. We go there. We're going through the whole process of sitting there waiting for the dilation, waiting for everything to go. It was 36 hours. She had false, uh, what are they called, Uh, false contractions. There's uh, Braxton Hicks, there we go, 38 years ago. I know it was in there somewhere, but thank you. Braxton Hicks. So it was 36 hours of false labor and then she had 7 hours of real labor. She's hurting, she's exhausted, she's tired. She goes into the birthing room. 38 years ago, they didn't want us in the room with them, but we fought our way in and I got to go in. I'm in there. She's hurting, she has the birth. They hand us this messy bloody thing and lay it on her stomach and say, "Isn't it cute?" <laughs> I'm ready to faint. I'm ready to throw up. I'm not sure what to do. I'm looking at this thing that's messy and bloody. Then all of a sudden, it was crying. And at that moment, it was the most beautiful thing in the world. And my wife and all her crying and hurt hugged it. At that moment, you knew what a miracle was again. You realize the fullness of this miracle as they cleaned the baby. And then they wrapped it and gave it to us. And we're holding this baby. And for one or two days, I don't remember, we're in the hospital learning how to feed, learning how to take care of, all the things we're supposed to do, making sure my wife was fine, healthy enough to go home. And again, 38 years ago, they're wheeling her out in a wheelchair holding this wrap. Now, it looked like a bundle that was so wrapped tightly and all that we could see is about that. And, She's holding this thing that I know we have to be careful driving home in my new 1976 Toyota Corolla, which I was real proud of. It was, at that point, a few years old, but it was the new when I bought it. Where's the car seat? There was no car seat, and that was the fun part because when we got in, I opened the door, had my wife get in, and I'm holding this baby, and I'm thinking, okay, do I give it to her? Do I put the car seat belt on beforehand? Do I put it on with her? Because there were no car seats. So I'm sitting there not sure how to hand her the baby, and whether to wrap the baby around with the car with the seatbelt where she could get hurt if we stop quickly, or her to just hold it. But if we stop quickly, the baby could fall. We didn't know what to do, so we seatbelted belted Cass in. My wife gave her the baby. And going home, what emotion did I have? Fear uncertainty, anxiety, I was in a vigilant mode, you know, it's like, who's coming, where, where am I stopping, let me stop slowly, I wasn't in my normal mode, (laughs) which I do like to go fast, I do like to drive quickly, I couldn't do that, I changed my whole lifestyle, because I had a miracle in the car, I had one that I was responsible for in the car, That was my responsibility and my wife's. And they're in the car and I'm uncertain how to make sure that that baby gets home from St. Jude Hospital in Fullerton to our house in La Habra. We made it a whole two miles. I was happy, but I was scared the whole time and anxious. Now, whether you're a parent, a father, by adoption, by foster care, by step, father, big brother, or biological is irrelevant. You are coming into a miracle, whether you come in at the beginning, biologically, in the middle, step, or foster, you are still in the midst of a miracle. It doesn't change because the miracle is the child, and I get to step into the midst of this miracle. How cool is that? It doesn't matter. I don't care how you got into that miracle. I care that you're in it and that you recognize the miracle. Okay, thoughts or questions on that? Does that make sense so far? Now, how many of you like to pray? How many of you do pray? Okay, the others, you don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want. We'll, we'll believe everyone raised their hand. That was Because everyone at some level, I was in the Army. I was drafted years ago, back when they had a draft. And uh, I went in the Army, and it was really funny because I was studying to be a minister then. And they made fun of me often, a lot of the others, Uh, for my Christian belief, and praying, except when we were throwing hand grenades and going out to shoot live weapons. All of a sudden, these guys would sneak to my bunk and say, would you pray for me? You know, it's kind of hard when you're facing great fear, great danger, to not say at least, please, are you there? We want something at that point when we're facing such danger. When we pray, what do you want God to do. When you're talking to Father God in heaven, how do you want to react? What? Positively. Lovingly. What else? Hear you. Absolutely. What else? Come on, there's more. What do you want if you're talking to God, the creator of the world and the universe, and you're in the middle of fear and anxiety, what else do you want? What was that? Reply. What else? Peace. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. What else? Direction. Direction. What else? Miracle. Miracle. Absolutely. That's what we're in the middle of. Listen to all of those answers. And there's more. If we take time, we could come to more. Guess what your wives and your children are wanting from you when they're talking? (laughs) Money. And that's what I want from God often as well. (laughs) See, we could come with more. There were more there. (laughs) It's true. They do. But they all want to reply. They want to know they want the miracle that we give it to them. (laughs) It's not hard to at least let them know you're existing and you pay attention and you give respect and you show them you listened. It's really astounding at what we all need is really minimal. How many of you ever saw uh, the movie with Tom Hanks of, uh, oh, where he was uh, on an island? Castaway. Castaway. How many of you saw Castaway? Okay, he's on this island, right? He's by himself, deserted island, and he's getting ready to kill himself. He can't handle it anymore. He's lived as long as he can alone. It's killing him. It, It was just destructive. And he got blood on a volleyball that he had there in such a way that it looked like a face. And he helped finish, make it like a face, put some coconut hair on it, and it was the Wilson volleyball. And he called it Wilson. And he carried Wilson with him. And if you watch the movie, Wilson becomes alive. It's almost a part of him. And in the movie, I got into it and saying, "Yeah, Wilson." And when he lost Wilson, it felt like someone died. All he needed was someone that he felt like he was talking to, that was there, that paid attention, was a Wilson. So the question is can you be a Wilson to your kids and to your wives? A Wilson. That's not always giving money. (laughs) But sometimes we want miracles, we want those things. Can you be a Wilson? You're in a miracle. How cool is that? That you're in the midst of a miracle. And the only thing that's being asked is can you be a Wilson? We want to be able to walk in, and I want my kids, my wife, I want anyone to walk in as if we're walking into Pastor Eric Geiger's office. Now, how many of you have been up on the third floor where his office is? It's like 18 offices guarding it. You know, and you got to go through all of them before you can get, and then there's another couple offices, and then you get into his office. But what this is, is we're entering into God's presence. And we want our kids and our wives to enter in with us without any fear of someone guarding them from being able to approach us. We want to be approachable. We want to be a Wilson and be able to walk straight into Eric's office without any hesitancy, without worrying about being stopped. Can your kids, can your wife walk in and talk to you that way? Or does work, uh, golf, or other activities get in the way to where you can't, where it's not being felt like they can walk in and say, hey, I'm hurting, I'm alone, I'm scared. Just like praying to God. It's no different. Be a Wilson. Some of us are gods to our family. We should be for a while. And that's how we have to approach it. Okay, third miracle. So far, any questions, thoughts, reactions, anything on that? Good. (laughs) Good. I'm a Pentecostal minister, so an amen doesn't matter to me. I like that. You know Pentecostal? How many of you know good Pentecostal churches? Yeah, okay, one or two here or there. A lot of amens and hallelujahs, and as a person up front, they always love that. So if you want to react, it's okay. If you don't, I'll hear it in my own mind. I can be delusional. (laughs) Miracle three. This is the biggest miracle that's phenomenal. It's really fun. Joseph's story. How many knows Joseph's story? Genesis 37 through 42 is the Joseph story. Do you know the Joseph? I love the Joseph story. I think it's probably one of the most challenging, uh, confusing, frustrating, and enjoyable that there is. If you look at it first part, he is a favorite son. Uh, Dad has quite a few sons, but Joseph is the favorite son and he's a spoiled 17-year-old favorite son. He is there, and he's a young man of 17 tending his flocks with his brothers, and he goes and tells his dad bad reports about his older brothers. (laughs) Well, what do you think the brothers do? They love him for that. You know, young baby brother telling daddy, already being spoiled with jackets and treatment, They hate him. Scripture is very clear and says they hate him because of who he is and his favoritism. Now, one other worst thing, because Joseph's real smart at this point, sarcasm on my part. He goes and has a dream and tells them his dream. Now, they already hate him, and he tells them a dream that says, you're going to bow down to me. Okay, I have two older brothers. I can promise you, if I told them at 17 they're going to bow down to me, they're both wrestlers. They would have put me down and said, yeah, is this bowing down to who? You know, They would have whipped me like mad. They did anyway. They're five years older. They would wake me up in the middle of the night and practice moves on me. They'd say, does this hurt or does this hurt? Which one hurts worse? That one. (laughs) They literally would do that. Now, I was never intimidated by the people I wrestled because my two older brothers wrestled me and beat up on me and taught me. So wrestling was really fun for me. But it wasn't so fun for Joseph because his brothers hated him. And he actually was a self-absorbed little brat. And he made it even worse. So they wanted to kill him. But instead of killing him, they put him in a hole and decided to sell him. So here's a spoiled little kid that has been anything he wants, given anything, anytime, time, listened, being able to report on his brothers, sold to clean camel poop. How would that be as he's going around having to scoop up after these camels and as their tra- caravan is going throughout the desert? What a great job. I bet his brothers were laughing like mad on that one. He's a slave to these camel people. They go into Egypt and they sell him to a home Potiphar's home. Now, Potiphar has a lot of money. He says, oh, good. Here's this young man. I can make him work. So he hires him, and then he finds out he's smart, and he has favor from God. He's a slave. He has favor. And Potiphar's family starts running the family to the point that Potiphar gives him full reign over running all of his property, everything. He can do and have everything. All Potiphar does is eat and just live, and that's it. But he's a young man that's in good shape, and his wife, Potiphar's wife, sees him and tries to seduce him. And he runs. He says, no. In fact, his quote's really a great quote. Uh, How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God and against Potiphar? That's in chapter 39, verse 9. So he knows not to do it. Now, I don't know, this isn't in the scriptures, and it may be heresy, but It's Randy's heresy at least. I don't know if he wasn't a young man that didn't have his shirt off at times to show off a little bit. I mean, we know he showed off before. Did he learn already? I don't know about you, but I know it takes me four or five, six lessons from God before I learn some things. He, I don't know how much he had learned yet. I don't know how much he was showing off a little bit, but he showed wisdom in the middle of false accusations, in the middle of trying to be seduced. He ran. And his coat was stayed back with him. And the wife said, he tried just to seduce me. False accusations. Now, he's a spoiled brat, sold into slavery, abused by his brothers. In other words, betrayed by his brothers. How many of you ever been betrayed? Stabbed in the back, lied to, deceived. I owned a business. We had 50 full-time employees. It was really growing and doing well. And money changes people. And my partner's, started doing all sorts of other stuff and using the money, and then they lied to other friends of mine that I was stealing the money. And my wife and I prayed about it, and we walked away from the business. And as soon as we did, it died. Now, that's God's favor, because it wasn't me. It was God's favor that was growing it. It was growing fast, and this is back 35 years ago. should have been worth multi-millions, and it just died. God's hand went off of it but I was still in great pain because I had to have people come and buy tires for me, buy food for me, pay my insurance. That was a horrible, humiliating feeling to be stabbed in the back, lied to. I was on staff at a church, started this business, started growing it. Everyone at church, when I was left the church first to go do this business said, oh, you're betraying your calling. As the business grew, they go, oh, you're blessed by God. okay. Then as we left that business because these guys were lying, they go, see, you, you betrayed God. No, I'm the same guy the whole way. That's Joseph, the same one. How many times you've been betrayed? How many times has business been hurting you? How many times you've been financially in trouble? How many times has someone lied? How many times has it been some family member that's done that? That doesn't justify us giving up our miracle, though. <laughs> we still press on like in this group, still go learn, still go say, what do I do next? Joseph didn't take that and quit. He was thrown into prison and he was thrown down there because Potiphar said, you betrayed me and threw him down. It was a false accusation, a horrible one, painful one. Another time he's in prison, another time he's a slave, another time he feels like it's over. How many times have you felt like you're at the bottom of the pit that you're cleaning camel poop, or how many times you felt like you're thrown into prison when you did nothing wrong. Your finances are a shamble. No one cares. You're alone again. How many times has it been there? But the reality is, you're in the middle of a miracle. See, Joseph and, the, and all of us can't see when we're in the middle of the miracle because miracles are messy. I cannot find a miracle in Scripture that isn't messy. There are so many times we're in the middle of the miracles and we don't see it. So now at 67, I'm coming and telling you that I'm looking at it after the fact, after many, many experiences that I've had of hurts and pains, after raising my kids and they're 38 and 35, now I get to watch them and I hope to have grandkids and spoil them like mad and throw them back and say, you clean them. I don't get that yet because they, they failed me. i <laughs> I don't have grandkids, but that's okay. I got granddogs, so I get them. But my, my kids, I get to look at it from a, a view now that is looking at them and saying, wow, there were times we didn't know if they'd make it or not. And at, 30, at 28, my son had a divorce and married someone horrible that was just horrible. And he divorced and remarried and he's doing well. And I love it. He came to me when he was in the middle of his divorce. He said, dad, I am sorry I failed you. <sighs> no, you didn't. No. No. He didn't. You loved. And he said, I thought love would be enough. I said, I know. Sometimes it takes more than that. It takes courage. It takes encouragement. It takes willingness to grow, willingness to look at who we are, vulnerability, open, willing to say, where am I? That's Joseph. When he was in that prison, he looked at who he was and he had to learn some more and he grew he became the leader of the prison. They put him in charge there. He found favor again in prison. You know there's times we're in the worst place we can be in our lives, whether it's a divorce is my son, where it feels horrible and you feel like you're failing your family and everyone, you're not, but it feels like it. When you're in a horrible place, you've done certain things, been an idiot, been selfish, been whatever, you're stuck there, you feel horrible. It feels like it's failing, and nothing's going to work. No, get up, you can still find favor. you're a child of God. Do you realize that everyone in this room is a favorite son of God? That's so weird, but it's so cool and it's so true. We'll get to that in a minute some more. You're a favorite son, whether you're in prison or whether you're in the bottom of the pit or whether you're cleaning camel poop, whether you deserve it because you put yourself there or someone else betrayed you, it does not matter. You're in the midst of a miracle. And God is looking at his favorite son in this room and saying, you're my favorite son. You're my favorite son. You're my favorite son. And he treats us so individually and uniquely. It's awesome. And he says, would you just go treat my other kids that way that I gave you? He was falsely accused. He's in prison. In prison, he has favor again. He leads all of the prisoners. In comes these two guys. One's a baker. One's a cupbearer. The cupbearer and one's uh were they cupbearer and uh, baker huh. didn't seem right all of a sudden. 67, it's it's going away quickly. So baker, cupbearer. They come in from the king, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, the leader of the the strongest, best country in the world at that time, the most powerful. They are thrown in because the Pharaoh gets angry at them. They're thrown into prison. In prison there, as they're there, they are having dreams, and they go to Joseph, and Joseph interprets their dream. He says, you're going to get out of prison in a little while, cupbearer, and everything's going to be good. The baker comes to him. He says, you're going to suffer a horrible death. Baker didn't like him, but it wasn't his dream. He said, no, I can't interpret dreams. He says that later, He tells the the cupbearer, don't forget me when you get out. But it took two years before the cupbearer referred back to Joseph. Two more years in prison. So when he does, it's because the pharaoh has dreams that no one in his country, no one in his land can interpret and tell what they are. And finally, the cupbearer says, oh, I know someone so he tells him about Joseph. Joseph comes in. Now, I don't know how you'd be, but if I've been sold into slavery, cleaning camel poop, being falsely accused, thrown into prison, and I go walking up to the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world with the most powerful country, and they say to me, I hear you can interpret dreams. You know what I'm going to say, yes, I can. I want a house on the Nile. This is what I want. This is what I do. Yes, I can. He didn't do that. Now, I don't know if the 17-year-old would have. But at this point, at this point, he was 30. 13 years later of all this, 13 years of going through tough times as a servant, as a slave, as being mistreated. 13 years, not 13 minutes, not one day, not one year, 13 years. And he had the wisdom to say, no, I cannot interpret dreams, but my God can Pharaoh said, okay, tell me what they are. So the dream, seven cows, fat cows, seven emaciated cows, dying, horrible, emaciated cows. And so he tells him what it is, seven years of good, seven years of bad. And Pharaoh says, great, favor again. You lead this, you run this. You're in charge of taking care of all this. And that is so awesome that he then runs the country to save the food so they wouldn't die now if the story stopped there that'd be cool but it goes on we're not going to depth we're given an overview to come back to each of us to know who we are he runs it and he then has two kids during the fatted seven years during this famine there's two years into the famine and his dad in israel thousands of miles away says hey We're starving and we're dying here. He tells his other sons to go down to Egypt and buy some grain for us so that we may live and not die. So here's Joseph going through these years, 39 years now. He's 39 years old. He's going through from 17 to 39 of all of the suffering and then Favor and suffering in favor, and his dad and his brothers are dying, and they come down to get food. Now, the ultimate end to the story, there's a lot more there of his emotions and how he plays a game with them, and that's all fun. But the bottom line is what happens is he saves his family, which is Israel. He saves all of Israel. And that's the real miracle. That's the real calling. Everyone in this room is a Everyone in this room has a calling. Everyone in this room has a purpose. Everyone in this room needs to look at themselves, be able to grow and enjoy that they are a whole along with the whole of their wife and their partners. You are a whole. You have to come together to be a team, but also in the middle of trials, tribulations, difficulties, hurts, pains, false accusations. Against all of these, we need support groups like this. We need to know how to grow and find strength and be real. Otherwise, we will let the prison win. We'll let the camel poop win. And what we need to do is know who we are so that we can take our responsibility and be who we're called to be in the midst of a messy miracles that we're all in the middle of. And to do that, we trust God we keep our focus on the goals of loving our family, recognizing they need our attention. They need to know that we hear them, we care for them, we're there, we're in attention. We call the family down who betrayed us and saved them. That's what we're called to do. We may be depressed, upset, frustrated, feeling uncertain, insecure, hopeless. That's what this is for. That's what we seek out help to get us through so we can push on for the mark, so we can press on, so we can become what we're called to become. Honoring the responsibilities we are given, the jobs, the positions, the fatherhood, the husbandry. We are called to be those things by God with a purpose and it is messy and it hurts. If you aren't in pain as a father or a husband, bless you. You are blessed and lucky and I am saying well done and continue. But for the rest of us, there are days we could just as well kill one of our kids or our wife as well as live with them. That's a reality. The fact that we don't do it is health. The fact that we want to is normal the fact that we own that we want to and we're wrestling and uncertain and and anxious is normal and healthy because we can seek help to get where we need to be. How did Joseph balance all of his pressure, accusations, hurts, unappreciation, hatred, and suffering? Well, courage, perseverance, support, focus on God because he was a favorite son, just like each of us just like each of us, a favorite son. What I hope you go away and hear today is that you're in the middle of a miracle and you have responsibility in that miracle and you can't see it, but you have responsibility. You have a calling. You're a favorite son with a purpose, with a gift, with talent. You have people in your sphere of influence to touch, to care, to lift up, to encourage them, to help them. And you can, and you will find favor from the Father as you do that. In the middle of a miracle, in the middle of the mess, and he will send people who will help you, encourage you, teach you, guide you. If you need that, fine. They're all around. Some of the guides in here will be guides for others. That's the whole point. That's the goal. That's what we do. The family gather together to say we are going to move forward. Any thoughts or questions at this at the moment? Steve, Steve Kafari is one of our therapists at Journeys. He's been, um, I was campus pastor at Vanguard, and he was my assistant, and he used to say that his job was to go behind me and sweep up my droppings. Uh, (laughs) So he's been doing that for 30 years. Uh, I asked him to write some questions up, that would be some that we could give either openly or to your tables to discuss. So what do you have, Steve? Um, just a couple
1: here. Um, I think I want to start off with one just general. That, of course, a men's group is, is a giant, giant thing. So let's keep it general. I don't should, if you guys, maybe we do have a, paper, a little paper, but just in general, the first question, I'll leave it at that, and if we need more, I'll give them to you Is How is... How is this, Randy's talk, speaking to you? Because he covered on three major points. I don't want to review it for time. I want to give you guys time to talk to each other. But how is what he said, whether it's celebrating your differences, walking through the miracles, relating with Joseph in some way, shape, or form, how is this speaking to you? And how is God, what is God stirring you? So if you would just turn to your your guys at your table and just kind of discuss that amongst yourself. If you need another question, I'll give it to you. But I like to keep things simple. So we'll break for that right now, okay? (laughs)
0: So I'm trying to see what you
1: Um just in case, one more question for you. During Randy's discussion, I'll just be transparent here, kind of lead the way. He was discussing this idea of, you know, having a Wilson in your life. And um, one of the questions I wanted us to wrestle with is, and he talked a lot about being approachable, and I'll just, I've got two children, a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old, who should be going on 40. I'll, I'll let you fill in the blanks. <laughs> um, but basically, it's how can, what I got out of what he said there is, how can I be more approachable with my wife or my own kids? I went out last night with my wife, and we just went over a whole week because we hardly had talked. And I spent literally an hour talking about my whole week but I had to turn it and be approachable to her. And I was mentioning this to Randy earlier that, you know, when my boys were younger, I'm just going to be very transparent. How many have had those moments when you're really busy and your kid comes to you, your beloved child, and they start telling you what you would agree is just a boring story? (laughs) Okay? And that voice in your head says, I don't have time for this. I've got bigger, fresh To fry. And by the way, you've told me that boring story four different times. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But that, you know, this whole idea of a Wilson, those are those moments that my children would come to me and I'm their Wilson. And I had to figure out ways to stay in the moment and stay present. As a therapist, you know, it's all about being present. And but yet in my mind I had this, oh my gosh, you're being boring. I had to learn how to study their face and watch his little eyebrows jump around on his face and take pleasure in his expressions because otherwise I would just commit suicide because they were so boring at times. You know what I'm talking about. And had to find the courage. It was like, God, please help me join my son right now and find the ways to take pleasure in this story that he's telling me because someone called him stupid at school or whatever it was. So the question for you is... How can I be more approachable with either my wife or my child or children? In what ways can you be more approachable? I like to bike and surf, but you know, sometimes I've got to put that stuff down so I can be more approachable or include them in the process.
0: I know you guys are having a lot of fun, and it's good. This is, this is good interaction. This is what we all need, and it feeds us and, and helps us. There's enough items in what I talked on today that we could take any one of about eight or nine and take two, three, four, five hours and work them. So I hope you think about this. I know it was taped, so... It's recorded so if you want to hear it again and make fun of what i said then please do if you want to hear it and get something and can get something out of it please do i want to give you a last thought that for a discussion for the the remainder of the time uh to be a wilson doesn't take a whole lot it really doesn't It's just be present that's what that last discussion i hope was how can you be present? What it takes is pushing everything to the side that's going on and being the now with my wife, with my kids. But part of what I talked about is celebrating our differences. If my wife and I go to In N Out, and she orders a hamburger and we split it, and she didn't order it with, she ordered it with onions, and I like it without onions. I'm going to eat that hamburger without noticing and say it was a horrible experience. She's going to say, oh, it's a great hamburger. She has one reality. This is her reality. This is my reality. They're two different realities in the same event, in the same circumstance, the same situation. Two realities. Now, I'm not going to go into all the things that make up my reality, but they're my personality, my history, my experiences, my being, and that's what makes hers. So example real simple is if you're from USC and someone else is from UCLA and UCLA wins on the last play and it was a horrible no call, USC fans will say it was horrible. UCLA will say it's great. And the only reason is where you went to school. Your realities are different. They're unique. Now, how do we recognize that we're favorite sons and they're favorite daughters? How do we bring these two realities together? We bring it together with grace, with understanding, with tolerance, with celebrating. You're unique. I'm unique. It doesn't make me wrong because I don't like onions. I actually believe everyone in the world will die because of onions. It's my personal belief. I, don't, I p- want you to prove me wrong, please. Everyone will die, and I think it's onions. My wife loves them. How do we have grace and tolerance for each other on those simple things? We'll go more depth. What about when she doesn't want sex and you do? How do we have grace and understanding in those moments? How do we bond? Because that grace is what bridges and bonds us. As we build this grace and understanding, we now have a unified whole while not losing who I am. So, for the question, for the next seven, eight minutes, which that's all it will (coughs) take, How are you guys different? You and your wife or your kids? And how do you celebrate it? I was a football player and wrestler. My son likes track. My wife was an opera singer. None of us like opera. (laughs) How do we blend those and love each other in the middle of our differences? What are your differences? And how do you celebrate those differences? That bonds you. Have fun having a discussion on that. I hope that makes sense. There's a lot more there, but bonding.